Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Yola Tango. If you want to send in questions about food, slice of life, just if you want to know what your horoscope is, you can email us at askdave at majordomamedia.com, or you can sign up for our Discord link at majordomamedia.com and join our growing community, get some great Discount codes to any day, Cometeer Coffee. What else? Cometeer Coffee, Athletic Brewing, any day. East Fork. East Fork. Momofuku. All Momofuku stuff. Anyway, before we get in the pod, which we're going to do a mini ass Dave, we're also going to do a Moif, and we're also going to do a little Dave Stradamus or Ying Stradamus. How is it not? Nostradamus. Nostradamus? Nostradamus. Oh, that's even a better one. <laughs> and uh, we're going to end on a, a a little segment called Bad Idea That's Actually a Really Good Idea. But before I get into that, I, I have to get something off my chest. So I just posted something online. Oh, and welcome back, Chris Yang. I'm here. I'm here. Not by Chris's choice that we're going to have him once a week for now until we get into the studio proper. Good to have him back. So I posted something because we're working on a project that we can't talk too much about, but it happens at Ice Cream Alley at Smorgasbord, LA. I saw Evil Cooks, which Evil Cook, which is a taco. They have restaurants and they've done a lot of mm-hmm. forward thinking Trumpo concepts. Yes. Octopus, tongue, but widely loved and respected in the LA area. And they did a one-off pop-up to some degree uh, last week where they made Trumpo out of ice cream. And I was blown away because he designed it himself. It was also almost 90, almost 100 degrees. Yeah. And he was making ice cream tacos. Yeah. And I think... It's easy to say, oh, that's something I don't like, or that's stupid, or why. I genuinely think it's a great idea. I love the entrepreneurship. I also love the ability to do something different. And I love that even if it is a bad idea, which I don't think it is, what I don't appreciate in culture or even online media, the comments to be like, oh, fucking stupid. Why? You're so dumb. It bothers me tremendously because if that is your, your initial thought, okay, then what else do you think was stupid that you now utilize in your daily life? Almost everything. Mm-hmm. Almost everything was a bad idea. Yeah, I think, I think what is, to, to, to do the positive side of this. I think you've been saying on this show for months and months and months now, guys, we need to experiment, try new things, chase dumb ideas, do wild, crazy stuff. That's the only way we're going to get people's attention. And I saw you walk up to this Trumpo. So it's a, I mean, for people who don't really understand, it is, if you've ever seen an Al Pastor, like a vertical spit or a shawarma or whatever, you know, you have this rotating log of meat. These guys mounted in a frozen version of the vertical spit a creating uh, cooling coils around the trumpo 
a huge Trumpo made of ice cream that would rotate and they could shave ice cream off. And this thing, I mean, to your point though, Dave, I, I, I can't imagine people are shitting on this thing. First of all, you're right. It was a hundred degrees. This ice, this ice cream Trumpo was fighting for its life. It's like so hot out there. But didn't your head immediately go to like a million ways that this well, could be yeah. cool? Yeah, I mean, when you think about ice cream, there's nowhere else for it to really go in the traditional tub in a horizontal setting. That's tried and true. There ain't nothing wrong with that. And can it be seen as a gimmick? Yes and no. But what isn't a gimmick? Mm-hmm. All marketing is a gimmick to some degree. If you're talking about Barbie Hammer, guess what? You're talking about a gimmick that works. The same people that thought about horizontal spit cooking, we did a whole episode on it, Ugly Delicious, thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. But now you assume that this is just normal. This is the way it is. What I like is that it brings an interactive way of adding ice cream to whatever vehicle you're eating. It also is at a temperature that I like, which is almost a gelato-like temperature, which is on the verge of melting. If you think about some of the most innovative things that have changed ice cream, it's either been soft serve, which is a machine that literally gives you less ice cream than before. So if you're going to complain about anything, it should be soft serve because they're selling you fucking air. (laughs) They're taking a single scoop of ice cream. Pumping a bunch of air into it and selling it as That's not just a gimmick. I love it because it's great business. (laughs) Literally, that's it. But we're selling you less ice cream. It is the shoestring fries of ice cream. It is a marketing lie, and I love it. Literally pumping your ice cream. No one complains about getting ripped off. It's not a rip-off. Listen, I love saucy rice, clearly. But you've had Colstone Creamery, which I've never had before, still. But I'm sure this... Ingenious. The person that said, hey, I'm going to get this refrigerated stone and I'm going to chop in ingredients into my ice cream and then give it to people. Like, why don't you just put the fucking ingredients in the ice cream and serve the ice cream? <laughs> because, listen, here, I, I just, I just consider this. The Trumpo, for, if for no other reason, or the Cold Stone thing, if for no other reason, it is an amazing invention because it's fun as fuck. Yeah, it's and fun. what is ice cream? Ice cream is That's the all. funnest food in the world. In Asia, you have places that use an anti-griddle, which is a very, very cold surface where you mix up ice cream, you put, you sheet it out like you're spackling a wall, and then you curl it up, and you have literally ice cream now that's now in cylinders, mm-hmm. and people eat that. Listen, I'm all for something that's new. I can also be dubious, and I'm just as guilty as anyone else when you try to see something that you don't necessarily think is a great idea, and you're like, well, that's stupid. I'm just saying, like, in 2023, it seems like we're really fighting for anything that's possibly new. So I think trying to withhold your judgment, as difficult as that might be, and saying that's stupid, you know, like, I had to talk shit to one of the commenters. He's like, bro, that's such a, what do you say? A hipster move. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I click on his, his profile. The first thing is, is using dry ice. <laughs> dry ice to make it smoky around his sushi that he makes. And this guy is not Asian or Japanese. Fine. That doesn't matter. And there's another post of him using truffle oil. And there's another post of you get it. Right. And he's a nice guy. I get it too, but we're all guilty of doing the same thing. 
we're at a place where culinary speaking, we're not headed towards doing cooler, newer things. We got to take it where we can. And whether you like it or not, even especially if you don't like it, you need to be encouraging this. That's ultimately my, my rant. We need to encourage people to try things that look even foolish and stupid and is definitely a bad idea. I can, I can see them polishing this. I can see them nailing the cabinet and the cooling elements. I can see how this would be at every shopping mall in America type of thing. You know, why, who, who's to say that's a bad idea then mm-hmm. when it's accepted and it financially works? Mm-hmm. You could layer the ice cream with other, oh my God, it could be so cool. So that's my, that's my, my rant because I got really upset when people just out, roundly just say it's stupid. And even some respected chefs, they're like, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Like this dude in fucking Copenhagen. <laughs> this Red Zeppi character. No, it's not just a Red Zeppi character, but another just guy just that's selling <laughs> food that he has no, no business potentially selling, calling no. bullshit. I'm just like, all right, man. Well, we need is some solidarity. And we need to be encouraging people to try new things, even if it falls flat on their face. In a world right now where we're headed towards comfort and homogenized same. So please stop your stupid. I think that's stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, let me just say one last thing on this. Like in, in terms of encouraging people doing new, interesting things, uh, you know, evil cooks is just one of the eight or 10 vendors at ice cream alley, all trying really interesting new stuff. And you know, what's stupid <laughs> ice cream alley, stupid. And, and this year is really interesting at ice cream alley. And that's why we're down there. We're not going to say too much about the project, but, one of these these small business vendors who are trying new things is going to end up getting a permanent slot at Smorgasburg this year. So, you know, it's, it's hot as hell in LA. And if you're around, I would highly encourage you to go down and support these guys who are all trying interesting stuff at Ice Cream Alley. Here's another mini rant. I've been saving this one, but I was like, screw it. I, we're, again, we're going to take this podcast straight off the rails already. I'm just coming out of the closet. And saying this, I, I fucking hate dark chocolate. <laughs> okay. And I listen, I've already promised myself before I started this podcast on the way here, like meditating. I'm not going to curse. I've already cursed 15 times. So st- starting over. You hate. I have dark. to because listen, I apologize. Sometimes this podcast comes on on my own car. My kids are in the back and I'm like, mm-hmm. Gotta turn it, I know I have to scramble to turn it off. So. Too. Apologies to all the parents, really. Uh, no, no one's a bigger dummy than me. But like pretending, not pretending. I, I like tripe, but I don't want to eat it all the time. Awful. Like if you're a chef, there was a period where you're not cool unless you had a pig tattoo, butcher pig tattoo or a knife or some kind of measurement on your arm or your hand, like a ruler. You know what's better than a tattoo on your fucking arm? An oh, actual cent, ruler? A 99 cent ruler. You know what I don't need? <laughs> Let me use my arm to measure something. A very inaccurate ruler. You know what I need? You know, I know a lot of people thought it was cool. Like, if you make your hand in a cup, it actually aligns so it's a tablespoon, tablespoon, teaspoon, etc. You know what also works? A teaspoon. Right. You know what I'd rather have you put food into my mouth with? A spoon. You know what this all says? Pay attention to me. I'm a chef. And I, I can cook. Okay. 
Let's let's, right. let's get we're, now we're like on the third level inception here on the 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 rant inside Going back the rant. Is part of this whole chef culture is you have to love dark chocolate. Yes. No, I, I don't love dark chocolate. <laughs> and every time someone says, "Oh, that was good," I was like, "You know what would taste better? Milk milk chocolate <laughs> with sugar in it." Oh, you don't you love that bitterness? It's like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm tired of lying to people. Like, that's great. Mm. You know what made the chocolate covered almonds in the ringer lobby disgusting for years? Yes, dark chocolate. <laughs> you know what's made them delicious? Yeah. <laughs> milk chocolate. They made the They're legitimately brilliant. Every bite is choice. If you want me to like never eat anything sweet, make it all dark chocolate. Listen, we're, you we're, know what I like better than Diet Coke? <laughs> Regular sugar Coke. <laughs> I mean, people want to be like, you're unsophisticated. You don't get it. I taste all the notes that you want me to taste in the dark chocolate. I get the citrus, the floral, the mineral. Don't drink your fucking orange wine. <laughs> I get all of and it. And leave me alone. I, we can taste all of the same notes you can. You and I don't want to taste all of those things. <laughs> I find this not just Chris is in agreement with me. It's. I think he's also coming out of the closet too. On this. I was honestly when I saw you when, when when I when I first tasted this milk chocolate almond in the lobby, and you were like, "These got better because they're milk chocolate." I thought to myself, "Well, I'm kind of like a hipster guy. I like dark chocolate, you know. I've got and you I like, like ice cream chumpos, <laughs> hipster guy." And then I just thought to myself, "I am lying. Yeah, I'm not. I'm tired of lying. I'm looking at you right now, guys. I never want to eat dark chocolate ever again." Give me milk chocolate and even it's crappiest of forms. When we walk into Spotify, there's Hershey Kisses, which are fucking mm. terribly constructed chocolates. <laughs> but you know what? Yum, yum. They're delicious. There's a lot of milk chocolate. Do you guys like dark chocolate? What? Oh, 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 all right. Let's talk about this. The three of you numbskulls in the, 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 the that, that studio office right now. There was a period during the pandemic that I ate dark chocolate every single day uh, for its putative antioxidant benefit. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> for, for its reputed, reputed hipster, hipster yeah. reputation benefits. That, that's, that's a reason <laughs> to never eat dark chocolate. Next, Corey. Yeah, I just want to say like every candy bar, like every generic candy bar that comes out with like a dark chocolate version, it's always better. It's just like a very easy way to make a, an existing candy bar into a better thing. It, it gets better when it becomes dark chocolate. Corey, have a it, dark chocolate Reese's, and then and then let's talk. Like, what's Ew. It, Corey, what's it like? Stri- <laughs> like, str- like struggling and striving so hard to be cool, culturally cool. It's a struggle every day, but uh, you're not going to take dark chocolate from me. Uh. <laughs> also, I just need to go back to you know really quick, being like, I ate chocolate for its antioxidant properties. Like, take a what? fucking vitamin, bro. Did you wash that down with a acai bowl? <laughs> take a vitamin. <laughs> Um, Victoria, please give give us some logical reason here. Dark chocolate is disgusting. <laughs> I will not do it. I would even eat like a Hershey bar. I'm sorry. And um, I'll take it a step further. White chocolate. It's not really my vibe either. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know why? That stuff you put on your face as a lotion. <laughs> it's literally just fat. Yeah. It's just cocoa butter, basically. It's belly. It's the belly fat of chocolate. <laughs> Victoria, if you feel God, uns- I knew I love Victoria. <laughs> if you feel unsafe in that booth at yeah. any point, you can let us know because you're surrounded by two. You know what? I shouldn't sociopaths. be surprised that these two hipster dudes in there. I know 
our what, dark chocolate aficionados. One who's like, have a dark chocolate Reese's. Oh, no. I only no. eat single origin co- uh, no, chocolate beans from you. Columbia. From the eastern ha- eastern side of this mountain. Antioxidants. <laughs> Get out of here, dude. Antioxidants. Um, I have one more. How about this? One uh, more. Let's go to the fifth level. Fifth level of the rant inception. It's a hot take. It's a real hot take. This is not just about Nobu. I think he's on the Mount Rushmore, the greatest fucking chefs of all time. If you don't understand, you're never going to understand. It's come to my conclusion, my, my own opinion, that the best thing to eat at Nobu or Matsuhisa is the rock shrimp and creamy spicy sauce. It's, and I love it. I, I, I now avoid almost everything else because like I want to get that and then I want to get sushi. And I do think you should eat at the sushi bar because it's, it's, it's awesome. And I, we, had a, we were leaving an event last night and I took my wife to Matsuhisa and we got sat at the sushi bar and it was a glorious fucking meal. And they had kohara and saba. And I asked the chef, this kohara is delicious. This saba is delicious. And I was like, let me guess. Who are the people that order this? And he goes, Asian people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so good. But we didn't get the miso black cod. We didn't get any of the new way sashimi stuff, which is all delicious. We didn't get the crispy rice and tuna. I, for me, my order now is I always try to like hide it. I, I like to hide my love of rock shrimp tempura because he's the one that created it. Mm-hmm. And I like it more. Really, if, I'm a, in, in a, if I was by myself without grace, you know what I would have done? Mm-hmm. Or if it was you or you know? Because Corey's not invited anymore because of his <laughs> love of dark chocolate. Victoria, for sure. All right, the four of us. Actually, you know, with Corey, too. <laughs> there, it, there I focus the chow next door to Matsu. He's three top <laughs> We would get rock shrimp ponzu sauce and rock shrimp creamy <laughs> spicy. Okay. And we'd probably get a few other hot appetizers. Hot appetizers are very, very good. But your, your, your tab can go like astronomically mm-hmm. high. The sushi was so good. I just was like, you know what? M- much like coming out of the closet about milk chocolate. I think it's one of the most delicious things I've ever had in my life. And it's a salad at the bottom because they put like little gem lattice on the bottom. It may not look like one of the greatest dishes of all time, but it is. And it's, it to me is maybe the best hot appetizer. It's perfectly balanced. It's a perfect bite of food. Hot. You got soft texture, crunchy texture, acidity, fat. It's hard to beat. <laughs> and there's a lot of imitators. Yep. And even the, this is when you know it's a great dish. When even the knockoffs are fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> that I, is a great dish, man. And everything. Nobu is, he's like, you know, everyone's doing their top five pantheon of who would you think you know top five in the nba he's on my top five list for sure i've just i'm 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 strongly with you on the ice cream trumpo rant very much with you on this milk chocolate over dark chocolate thing no idea what you're talking about this rock shrimp tempera thing but what i love about this is i'm imagining these very specific group of people for whom this hot take has resonated deeply and i'm just imagining you would never hang out with any of them. <laughs> just like the Probably, people I, driving through Malibu with their tops not down. Just Malibu. Listen, you can get rock shrimp tempera anywhere and it's always good. Can you understand that? 
people now need to look at it like it's a guaranteed win. We're talking about basically on any menu. If you see rock shrimp tempura, <laughs> born from the the brilliant mind of Nobu Matsuhisa, you should order that because it's a guaranteed win. I mean, we're talking about like crispy, crunchy, sauce, saucy popcorn shrimp. Man, all I give a shit about is getting on base. How I get there, I don't fucking care. <laughs> all right, rock shrimp tempura is. It's just, it's just in another world and you don't understand. And that's okay. I just haven't, I, I've, I've not, I've not been you so know? fortunate. Are you, you agree? Big fan of the rock shrimp tub right here. And dude, it's just a, it's a crowd pleaser. You know, it's nobody, nobody's mad. It's at so it. good. L- like and I said, I wanted to order another one and Grace <laughs> wouldn't let me. <laughs> like I said, the people who this take resonates with, you don't want to hang out with. <laughs> I don't. Th- this is, you know what? We're going to do a whole week series on rock shrimp tempura. All right. You just started something that you can't handle. All right. I'm going to go eat it. I'm going to go eat it. All right. We're going to take a break and we're going to get into a mini ass, Dave. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Once again, we're starting to make Ask Dave a more regular segment. You can ask us anything. Shoot us an email at askdave at majordomamedia.com. Okay, email. Prime Day. Which knife to buy? Hey, Dave. I missed my Prime Day opportunity to buy some nice knives on Amazon. I need a whole new set because the ones I currently own are the same crappy ones I have from college. So since I moved to Iowa, Iowa, my girlfriend's entering the writer's program. Oh, well, look at that. What does that signify? That's a, that's a very good MFA program. Is that like saying you went to Oberlin? It's like saying I went to RISD for graphic design. So everyone that comes out of Iowa, is that like going to MIT or Caltech if you're a nerd? It's like, yeah, it's like going to, if you're, if you're an aspiring writer, yeah, it's like the MIT for, for far less profitable <laughs> endeavors. So what you're trying to say is every, every person that goes to Iowa writers program there, workshop, Iowa yeah, writers, writers writer, workshop? Yeah, yeah, something like that. He's a great writer. No, <laughs> no, dude, I did not say that. That's what you said. I, I <laughs> that's what you said. And that's now going to be in the brochure for the <laughs> IO Writers Workshop Program. Chris Ying, every writer that graduates to this program right. is a brilliant, excellent writer. In the same way that everyone who goes to CIA will become a great chef, you too it's will true. become a <laughs> You are a great chef to your friends that you tell that I went to cooking school. You are a great chef to them. Just like your unpublished novel right. is a great novel. Writers program there, and he's moving there to work with his girlfriend. I'm probably going to use Amazon because there's no knife store there. What should I buy? It's time for a new set. What do you recommend? So he's going to wait to 
for the next discount at Amazon, probably Black Friday or the next Prime Day. And I'm tired of you, me, saying you just need a sharp knife. Doesn't matter which one. (laughs) Point taken. Give me a solid rec. Thank you, Chef. Sincerely, A.C. I should look on a phone and look at my prime. See what the uh, the deals are. Not deals, but what, what, what are you? When you Google, not Google. <laughs> when you go on Amazon, Chef's knife, and you put knife, kitchen knife, what pops up? Califon, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I wouldn't buy. Oh. I would buy Henkel's set. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfstoff Henkel's, any of the German Austrian brands, you can't go wrong. If you are, what I would probably stay away from regardless are any of the Japanese, any, any knife that has a Japanese inscription or font that is aggressively Asian, I would not use. <laughs> like, with like, Really strong brush strokes of kanji. I'm looking at it, this, and I would not buy so many that I've never heard of. Um, I would also stay away from ceramic knives. I would stay away from any knife that has all the knives in the color of the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> Who's okay? Let me ask. Let me a very specific one. Who is allowed to buy like a Damascus steel knife? I I don't like a Damascus steel knife. You know why? It's too hard to sharpen. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm sure you're going to have the Dam- Damascus knife, you know. Hardcore. I don't want to say weirdos, but yeah, fucking weirdos. <laughs> I mean, if, if you even know what we're talking about, you're a little bit of a weirdo. <laughs> Not all of them. Not the people that collect knives. Now I'm going to get shit from half my friends. All right. No, Dave can't even sharpen his knife nearly as well as I can. Yeah, but all your friends who own Damascus steel knives know what they're doing. Well, really? <laughs> I was trying to save you. Damascus steel is a beautiful knife with is sometimes a thousand, at least a thousand folds of steel, which gives it this beautiful side angle of, of the blade itself, which actually I find distracting, mm. but it's cool. And Too I remember cool. the first time I saw it, I remember Tom Kalicki came back from Japan and gave Marco Kanora a very expensive Damascus steel knife. They are gorgeous, but I do think they're very difficult and I gave my Damascus steel knife away to someone I can't remember. That's how meaningful it was to me. <laughs> but if you're a home cook, I don't think you should, like, you should rule that out, right? Like, don't buy a Damascus no. steel knife. No. Again, like, wh- why? Yeah. You tell me why, and I'll answer. I, again, like, anything, even like a, a, a Farberware, anything that's cheap, I just would hide. i try. I would not use anything that is... I, I tend to use... Any Japanese knife that comes from a respected knife store, right? Here's here's a question. Knife. Or if you go to Japan, and honestly, <laughs> if you go to Japan, most of the times that you're going to buy the knife is because it's made custom for you. And there are some great knives in Kapabashi. And a lot of them, what you might see are the a lot of cooks using professional kitchens are Japanese knives, the Mizonos, et cetera, of the world, the Nenoxes. They're literally in Japan labeled as domestic kitchen knives. <laughs> I, I think a, a really good Mizono U, UNX series is great. 
that you see as a workhorse. That's when I started to see that in almost every kitchen in Japan that were doing like European like hybrids. That was a, you know, a good choice. But again, we're talking about professional cooking for a home cook. I would not buy anything that's a, not a 50 50 edge. And what I'm talking about is the edge of the blade, right? A lot of Japanese knives that are even hybrids are not 50 50. So you have to sharpen it at a 90 10 or, or really one sided knife. It's not difficult to do once you get, you're going to, you really have to screw up a couple knives to figure out the right way to do it. But it's not the easiest thing to have, which is why when Wirecutter recommends a Mac knife, mm. And they tested it out at Le Cuckoo Kitchen. I'm like, fuck you guys. That is not, That's not the real. best knife. So I'm going to say anything that is reasonable construction and to some degree the brand matters when there is, if a knife company has been around 100 years, they're going to make something dependable. We do have at this studio one of the worst knives I've ever held in my nut, my life. Is it the one with the holes in it? And it's got holes in it. <laughs> So I, I am going to eat my words here because I've said any knife just as long as it's sharp. This thing is truly insane. It's, 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 it's so bad. I feel like I've thrown it away and it keeps on coming back like a, like a monster like that a, won't die. The monkey's paw. Let me, let me ask you two, two questions. So, you know, you can't buy the shittiest, cheapest knife too, which is why I think if you're going to take the next step, I think of the Henkel's Wolfstuff range, mm. buy a block. And if the block's too expensive, which it can be, you just need a 10 inch or eight inch chef knife. And I would say the one thing that you don't need to spend money on again is a parent knife, which again, I know people are like, Oh no, you no, you really don't. That I would use as Victoria Knox makes great knives with plastic handles. What about, do you have anything to say about shape? Cause I know we've been, I, I stabbed myself in the hand cause I had switched between two chef knives the other day. I'd gotten very accustomed to the sort of more Japanese you know, Santoku shape where like the, the point almost Look goes at down. Look you right? dropping the Japanese shape knowledge. <laughs> it kind of points down. And then I picked up a German one where you have the point kind of heading upwards and I stab myself straight in the finger. Like, well, that has, le- that has less to do with the knife and more about the dexterity and <laughs> coordination of the knife user. Yeah, user error. But do you prefer one shape over the other? I like the Santoku and, you know, right now, again, I don't cook like I used to. I used to have quite an exquisite knife roll. And for a while, I, I got out of all Western knives. And now I basically just use the, like, the Wusthof, I don't even know what it is, or Henkel 8-inch mm-hmm. uh, Sentoku. Mm-hmm. Um, works great. Uh, I was talking with Max Ng because of the studio. I was like, dude, I think I got to get a Deba. I got to get a Yanagi. He's like, are you kidding, dude? You don't need any of that stuff. And I was like, you're right, Max. I don't. I need to get a new slicer. I need to get all things. Like, you got back into a kitchen and suddenly you're like, the, the itch came yeah. back. I was like, who am I kidding? Even if I did... I would never use it, which is why I gave most of my knives away. Where should the home cook? I think Victoria Knox makes really good budget knives. And just because it has a plastic handle doesn't mean it's a piece of shit. It needs to have good weight, right? And if it's too heavy by the handle and it's not heavy up top, it's not balanced. Those are knives that I definitely would avoid. You want something that's balanced. When you put it in your hand, it doesn't feel like there's nothing Mm -hmm. on the blade end, right? And you want something that is not just a sheet of metal that's been cut out and sharpened. You want it to be folded and worked. You want it to be durable, stainless steel. The molybendium steel that Global, I know a lot of people like Global. I've talked about it before. It is too goddamn hard to sharpen. Mm. So 
a lot of the knives that get sold to you to say like, hey, it's great. Look at all the people that have bought it. Doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing. I think you start off, you don't need the block, right, of knives that you're never going to use, right? I would buy a Santuku, 8-inch or 10-inch. I'd buy, make sure I'd buy a whetstone or oil stone, 1,000 grit. I'd buy a Victoria Knox paring knife and a uh, serrated blade. And I would buy a steel, a cheap steel. You do not need an expensive steel. And that's it. If you want to do more heavy work, right, you, you buy a knife that is like a traditional European-style chef's knife with the what Chris was just poked himself with because those are wonderful. And that's like a European Deba. Deba is like the butchering workhorse in Japanese kitchens. And again, if you're a home cook, one last thing, we'll move on because we could talk about this all day. Do not buy an entirely carbon blade. Just don't. <laughs> just don't, don't, don't do that. No matter what people tell you, don't buy it because you're not good enough to use it. It's just facts. If you like dark chocolate and orange wine, you should just buy a cleaver. Again, cleaver, I'm just, I'm not good enough. No one's good enough to use the cleaver except the people that know how to use it. I don't know how much those things go in discount on Prime, but I would probably wait. Or again, go to your local, if you are in a city that has a small, independent, nice store, go buy it there. Yeah. Uh, if you want to like support small businesses. Next question from Ryan M. For someone... For someone that talks so much shit about authenticity, you contradict yourself a lot. <laughs> Can you clarify when authenticity is a good thing? Ryan, it might just be my alias that I'm sending in questions to get the answers to. I, I, I do contradict myself. Why am I the arbiter of when something is good and some things are bad, right? When I can say barbecue chicken pizza is delicious, right? Um, can you say that it's a good thing or a bad thing? And when you say, when I, for, here's a good example. If I say pineapple pizza is garbage, which it is, right? And then I say, but barbecue chicken pizza is delicious. I think that is contradictory. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the same logic where I can say, hey, this restaurant can't put certain combinations together. Because they're serving a style of food that is based on a true story. Which I do all the time. But why can someone else do it, but they can't do it? Why am I being critical of them? I don't have an answer. But I would say in general, I'm pro-authenticity when it's about preserving and recording. And there's not enough people in the marketplace to actually ensure its longevity, right? And every kind of cuisine and every variation and permutation of cooking, if it's a restaurant or some recipe or some family that's trying to preserve it, then authenticity is a wonderful thing. And it can oftentimes be your link towards the culture that you might have, you know, migrated from, which is why when I go to Korean communities in the world where people left from this in like the 60s and 70s, you go to the Korean restaurants of their households, it's literally like going back in time because it's not about doing anything new. In my opinion, it's about making it exactly the way you remembered it. And that's, that's an important thing. And I think that's when authenticity is good. When I find authenticity to be extremely problematic is when it borders like totalitarian. Like when you get into the 
Italian pizza scene, which mm. we covered in Ugly Delicious, or even, you know, the AOC. Like, nothing can be pizza unless it uses these ingredients. That's ridiculous. Mm. Right? When, when some asshole in Australia says, I can't cook this because, like, I'm not this person, or, like, I'm not X, or someone can't do a restaurant because of what reason. You know, it's a completely open source thing for them to make or spending the time to, to use their experiences and merge it in a new way. Or someone that's just trying to do something Vanguard, like evil cooks, right? To say that, why would I be positive about an ice cream chumpo, but maybe if somebody, I don't even know what somebody else might do, right? It's, I can't even give you another idea right now for Mexican food, but why would I be okay with that? Because that seems like almost potentially sacrilegious. Mm -hmm. It, I think it is a weirdly a case by case basis, but some things that sort of make sense. If it makes sense to me, then I feel like it's okay. And I'm not the arbiter of it, but I do think it's important. I'm trying to, I, I, cause I, I fully agree with you. And I, I don't think that you contradicting yourself is exactly how I would characterize it. I, I definitely think there's a, a moving target and I'm trying to think of just some visual metaphor to explain this. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw this one out there and see if it works. We were just talking about knives. <laughs> to me, authenticity is a knife. You can use it to craft amazing culinary things. You can also use it to stab people in the chest. Like authenticity weaponized, which is what I think you're talking about with like the sort of totalitarian pizza is one thing is a, is a knife used as a weapon is authenticity as a weaponized thing to prevent people from doing yes. great things. You, you summarize it way better than me. And I do think it's a murky thing and extremely contradictory. So, and I'm about to contradict myself right now. <laughs> what a, yeah, no wonder this person is frustrated with me. I can't even imagine. Hey, Dave, Hero, Grinder, Sub, Wedge, Po'Boy. You just talked about them on threads. They're all the names for the same thing. Can we all just call it a sandwich or call it one of them? I think a, a second thread to that that I, I, I mentioned was, and I didn't call it by name, but there's a certain restaurant here that I think with you know we'll talk about in a little bit where our friend Chris Chen swears by. <laughs> I know what we're talking about. Okay. And... and I find that in Los Angeles, the people that are making a sandwich based on food from the East Coast, from, say, Connecticut down to Philadelphia, that, that, that region. of And I'm not Italian-American. Sure. <laughs> Clearly. But I love it, and I love to eat it, and many of my friends make a lot of that great food. I don't think you can call an Italian sandwich something if it doesn't have the ingredients. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the top places, and yes, there are places on the East Coast that put ingredients on something, but I think it's important to note that the quote-unquote authentic version of a sub, or whatever you want to call it, I personally love Grinder. I love Hoagie. I like, they're all great names, mm -hmm. first of all, except a couple that I won't say because it's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> right, so what, what characterizes the sandwiches of the Hoagie belt that is missing from no, it, so it's basically Connecticut. I think Connecticut is a, even, I mean, Blimpy is a type of sandwich, but it's sub, hoagie, wedges, New Jersey, I believe. 
sub is most of like say Rhode Island to Philadelphia. Actually, I have no, I don't remember. It always changes. Grinder is definitely Connecticut, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's who knows. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's an easy thing you can look up. But I always found it funny that they're the same thing. But if can you can you call an Italian sandwich with Italian cold cut something that it's Italian? If it's got mayonnaise, mustard, sriracha, and things like that, I'm not saying it can't be delicious. Right. But when it's proclaimed as like how it's proclaimed to me. This is the best. This is the most, this is like the real thing. That's like, oh, you want the real sandwich? You got to go to this place. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-huh. Don't tell me that's the real thing. Right. Again, I always use the example. I don't know why I always have to pick on like Berlin, Germany. But if we were making barbecue in the style of Texas barbecue in Berlin, Germany, and it was really good. And then, you know. Somebody says, this is the best barbecue in the world, uh-huh. but we're not, we're now like fermenting it in sauerkraut <laughs> and we're turning the smoked brisket into a sausage and it's something else. Not to say that it can't be delicious, but you're like, cause this is, why is it good? It's not only delicious. This is the real thing. You're like, well, that, that, sh- that might be truthful to you and them in Berlin, Germany, pre-internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But is it, is it accurate? Can you say that it's the real thing? We're getting into like semantics and, and philosophical like questions, but I'm, I'm going to say you can't and you should go to hell. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you should go to hell. Uh, okay. Yes. I think, hmm. God damn. It's a tough one. God damn. If the Berlin. This is like. The, the 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 distillation of contradictory right. being, being contradictory. If Berlin BQ restaurant said <laughs> said this is the best authentic Texas Hill Country style barbecue, just like just, just like, like the, my frau, just like <laughs> used to make it back home in Dusseldorf. I um, I'm, I'm can we we can say things about German people? Yeah, I would take issue with that. That's all I'm trying to say. Is like. What are you basing the real thing on? But if they said, we've got the best Berlin-style barbecue, we've created it. That makes sense. That's great. That's cool. When I say Domino's, is the, if I say Domino's is the best pizza in the world, which I've never fucking said. <laughs> You've only thought it. <laughs> I said, I love Domino's. Love. There's a lots of different love. You, you would never say Domino's makes the best authentic Neapolitan style. Yeah, when I eat pizza. the Domino's Brooklyn style pizza, I don't taste it. Like, God, I feel like I'm in Red Hook right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it smells like the the the, the harbor right now. <laughs> no, all you're thinking is like, hmm, where's that ranch? <laughs> it can still too. be good. Yeah, you know, if I'm in St. Louis and I have St. Louis thin crispy pizza, I'm like. Wow, this is the best pizza in the world. This is how pizza should be. You can say that, but it doesn't mean you're you're right, right? And if this person growing up this way, thinking that St. Louis crispy pizza, which is delicious, I love Provel cheese, and they go to other cities and they taste this pizza, and it's like this is garbage. This is not as good as say that. You have every right to feel that way, mm-hmm. but you can't say like this is the this is the real pizza. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm trying to say. I've never really understood that compulsion to be like. I'm going to open a St. Louis pizza restaurant in Malibu. 
I've never That's really not the only city where that fucking happens. <laughs> never really understood that. I don't understand like what what are you why are you setting yourself up that way to be like this is the best Detroit style pizza in all of northern <laughs> Kentucky? <laughs> like what? I just wanted to say that ultimately I strongly disagree with people that say in in the city of Los Angeles that what is something that is made extremely well on the East Coast, especially in the Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York corridor. Yeah. Right. Right. Which you take seriously. Like you can lose friendships in New Jersey. If you say pork roll versus Taylor hand, like yeah. you, 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 that's just the way it is. You just don't fuck with that. Mm-hmm. Right. You just don't. I think it's crazy for someone in Los Angeles to say like, this is the real thing. <laughs> this is the real thing. And it's the best. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, we're, you want to save it? I feel, I feel like I know what you're talking about exactly. But we get into it again, now. I'm like, no, no, we'll we'll save it because I think you can't just, you know, it's like saying, oh, we make the best cheesesteak. I was I was about to ask you that exact thing. What do you think about? I mean, Philly cheesesteak. When you taste are, that, you taste the real thing. I'm like, Whoa. we got those Amoroso rolls. <laughs> <laughs> I flew in that Provel cheese. Whatever. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you, man. Makes no sense. Especially when you could be doing, you could be taking this opportunity to carve out your own shit. So a lot of, uh, I think we just reached a point in the Dave Chang show. We've reached uh, modern, like the philosophical conundrums where most of the philosophical problems are about linguistics, mm-hmm. about what you're able to say. Yes. And now we've just unlocked the real problems for food right now. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a logical understanding here. of words themselves. <laughs> Man, I knew I should have gotten a fucking dissertation in, in this sure, somehow. Just, this Get a, the semantics episode. One last one. Well, this should be relatable to a lot of people. What's up, Dave? Need you to settle a debate for me. My friend is throwing a bachelor party in Prague. Oh, that's interesting. I've only been there once on by train and um that was like the wild wild west back then but we're talking about almost 30 years ago we got people going from all over states and one guy is going from london i think i know what these guys are going to do in Prague. But <laughs> <laughs> so we're all in a group chat and the best man is following up asking if we've all booked our flights yet i'm the last one left and i still haven't booked after hiding in the crowd text thread a bit i finally told them yesterday that i have not booked my flight yet and i got a bunch of shit for it Dave, you travel a lot. When do you book your flights? For someone that travels so much. Big fan of the show. When uh, to book your a, flight. That's a A.Y. When to book your flights. I'm a master Well, Alan Yang, we've got... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in theory, when you have... What is it about human nature where, let's just say, a year from today, we have to go to a save the date it's like 24 months in advance. Mm. I don't know how long, well, how far out you can buy a ticket. But it's clear if you buy a ticket a year in advance, it would be the cheapest it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Right? For example, F1. Las Vegas. Yes. I've known about F1 coming to Vegas for quite some time, and I've known that I will have to do a bunch of culinary activities. <laughs> I still have a book to rent. I could have booked this two years ago, before the rates went astronomically high. 
Right. And then and I just procrastinated it. and procrastinated. And now I'm going to bitch and moan when I can't get the room that I want. And I'm not going to blame myself whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to shake my hand at fucking the world and the ills of society and blame everyone but myself because that's the truth. It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. A different form is, oh man, like now the ticket now is like, so much more expensive than when I looked at it a year ago. Mm-hmm. Man, do I love my friend that much? When the best man first sent out the email. Yeah. Along with links to specific prices. <laughs> so now you're stuck because what do you do? You can't like not go. By not going, maybe you can. Maybe you come up with an excuse because now you're not blaming yourself. I don't think anybody blames themselves when they see the ticket price jack up slowly, slowly. So they mm-hmm. keep on looking like, like how humanity deals with climate crisis. Like, yes. <laughs> maybe it'll come back something, down. Yeah. It's cyclical. Some, it's cyclical. Something, something. Flight prices are cyclical. And you're just like, why? You know, like, I have to go on another trip that's actually quite similar. I have to go on another fishing trip. Mm-hmm. Two, actually. You've yet to book your tickets. I haven't booked any of the flights yet. And I got an email too. Hey, this is the flight that I'm on. And I don't know for the life of me why I haven't booked it yet. I, mean, I could book it with miles, but the longer I wait, the more miles are going to be needed. So I don't have an answer. So I book tickets like a total jacket, mm-hmm. but I think it's a human condition. And I wish I could be the kind of person that says, yep, I got that. I'm going to book the ticket in the hotel right now, but I'm waiting to the last second possible. Why? No idea. Because nothing ever good comes out of it. Does anyone else understand? I feel like I, I, I understand AY's problem. I 100% understand AY's problem. And I'm, I'm here. When does Grace book her tickets? Way, way, way. Which is why when it's together, no problem. <laughs> She's the best, best at getting it. And also knowing fully when to buy it at a low price. Because sometimes she's tracking it. Price can go down. She knows the mechanics of that way better than I. Mm-hmm. And she knew, you know, his workarounds with the SEO and then, 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 then like whatever website you want will jack up the price. Cause they know certain things. I don't know. She knows how to maneuver all of that. Here's what I'm going to give you credit for. <laughs> I think your flight buying strategy of waiting until the last possible second, even knowing you have to buy it early, that you could save money, you could save miles is a perfect a distillation of your specific brand of optimism. Yeah. You're optimistic about Thank you. two things. And one, this guy's optimistic too, or girl. One, the bachelor party might get canceled and I might not have to go. <laughs> I'm holding out hope that that might happen. And two, who oh, knows? I'm not, I can't be a girl because it's a bachelor party. My bad. <laughs> yeah. So who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if the prices, if there'll be some kind of flash sale? Well, yeah. Oh, here's another thing. Why I, 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 I guess someone could say, hey, you know what? You can now buy insurance and get a refund if you buy it. Because I think one of the things I'm holding out hope is that something else might happen or maybe there's a cancellation, whatever. Again, it's not just hopeless, boundless optimism. It's also realism. It's like, maybe they call off the wedding. <laughs> I don't think those two are going to make it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this is really what this is about. It's really me just taking a bet. And you can buy the insurance. But I have to say this. If you buy travel insurance like this, and I know some people do, and it, every time they, every time it, it works for them, they let everyone know, but they never talk about the times when they just wasted money. Yeah. And I'm saying when you buy traveler's insurance on your flight, that is buying sucker's insurance when you're playing blackjack. 
100%. and only suckers buy blackjack insurance. 100%. And I now buy the that mathematical property. You're a fucking sucker if you buy traveler's insurance. I think what, I think it boils down for me in terms of waiting to the last second. I'm doing the exact same thing that you and AY are doing here. There's a trip that I'm supposed to be going to in August that I don't I don't know if I'll book tickets. It might just boil down to a incredibly strong aversion to spending money. <laughs> like I know I'm going to end up spending more at the end. I know that I have to spend the money, but if I don't have to spend it today, if I don't have to spend it tomorrow, then maybe I'll never have to spend it. Maybe I'll die before I have to spend this money on this flight. So when I really think about why I don't want to click yes on that flight, I'm just like, I just want to spend the money right now. I want to save it. Do you guys have the similar situation? Do you guys, are you guys, Corey, you know, Victoria, are you guys people that buy the tickets immediately? Do you wait? And what is the reason why we all wait? Or do we not wait? Because I, I, I assume that all you guys don't like dark chocolate. I bet wrong. Victoria waits, you know, waits, and Corey buys early. That's my wager. Immediately. Like, I, yeah. immediately. I bet yeah. he pre buys tickets for yeah. trips he's not even yeah. planning yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm going back in October and I have my ticket already. You bought that. Um, <laughs> Two years ago. <laughs> well, also, fun fact, the only direct flight from L.A. to Pittsburgh is Spirit Airlines. Uh, so that'll be fun. He bought them. He buys them in bulk. <laughs> when, did, when did you buy that ticket? Like two weeks ago. Oh, you're not that bad. Uh, well, I think that's a normal it? it's July. It's like three August, months out. September, October. I feel like most people buy three months out. That's a normal. That's a normal yeah, thing. I'm, disapp- I would I'm buy disappointed that, in his normalness. Yeah. September 25th is when I would buy that ticket. You know? So I have four weekends out of six in, in September and October that I have a weekend or a bachelor party out of out of state. And uh, I haven't moved the points over to buy it with points yet. Like, what are you I'm, waiting for? I don't know. Maybe you don't love your friends. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't. That's what I'm trying to say. I think it's a matter of... Sorry, Clinton Con. <laughs> it really is a matter of how important you are to... So I think this is like the Hefeweizen principle. It, it, this is the new. It's the... It's the the importance of the person that you're going to travel with or for. It determines the length that you're. I think it's inversely proportional. If it was somebody I didn't care about, but I knew I had. <laughs> yes, that is the, that's the graph. If it was somebody I didn't care about, but knew I had to go to their party, I would just be like, ah, fucking pull the bandaid off. Just buy the ticket now. If it was somebody I knew and loved and I was going to go no matter what, I'd be like, I'm going to wait till the last second because I know I got to So you treat them because you love them poorly. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> Victoria. I'm a last minute ticket buyer. Like I have some, I have a flight I need to buy about two weeks. I haven't bought it yet. Another one in about a month. I'll probably buy it about two weeks before I go. And do you get angry when you buy it at a higher price than you could <laughs> yeah, have bought it from? And do you blame everyone but yourself? Yeah. And I yeah. agree with Chris. I think it's like, I'll think of better things to spend the money on. And I'll be like, mm, I'll just buy the ticket later. Maybe I'll, in, I'll invest this $275 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the meantime. I find it to be fascinating because not everyone is this way. But for those that are the real procrastinators, I feel your pain. Mm. And I also think that you should let them know that I haven't bought it because I don't know how important you are to me. <laughs> or just, yeah, or use the or use the inversely proportional thing. Just like, I'm going to wait till the last thing because I love you yeah, so yeah, much. You, listen, you can do that to your immediate family, no problem. <laughs> but when you're talking to your friends... You're like, all right, man, I haven't seen this person in like since like 
the only reunion I ever went to. Like, <laughs> I haven't talked to this person in like 10 years. Like shit. Like, do you, do you get this though? Cause I'm on a thread just like this where everybody's booking their flights for a trip and everyone's like, I got mine already. I got mine. I got mine. As you see those people and send their emails in, are you looking at them in the opposite way being like, fucking loser? <laughs> what did you book your flight so early? You know, another thing Dork. that I, I have, a, I know a couple of people that, and I can understand this. It's always awkward when you have a bunch of people on the flight and they're mm. sitting different places, mm-hmm. right? And you can tell on the plane who, who this group is because mm-hmm. they're so goddamn annoying. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. time they stop the bathroom, they, they chat and they're like putting your ass in your face. And you're like, God damn it. If you're this close and you know each other this well, why do you need to be talking right now? On the airplane? <laughs> right, 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 right. What is so important that you're going to just laugh about? <laughs> Did something really funny happen on this plane? You got a cool joke about airplane yeah. food you got to tell right now? Corey and his buddies going to have a fun time on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> Yucking it up. <laughs> Can you believe how small these bottles are? <laughs> okay. I, I'm glad we talked about something where we have no answer to, but I can just commiserate in your pain but and blame the world as you should yeah. for a high, higher ticket price than you thought was possible. I agree. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. All right, last one of Ask Dave, and uh, I think this can transition to the Dave Stradamus, or what you call it, the Nostradamus. (laughs) Nostradamus. I was talking to a friend of mine who was starting a restaurant in New York City for purveyors. His list is over 100 plus. So when he's talking about, or he is, or she is talking about, there's their name, no name on this one. A list for a restaurant is and a purveyor. Purveyors are all the vendors for food or even cleaning supplies, repair potentially, but mostly it's considered for food. And the list can be really deep. Mm. And I can easily tell you that many restaurants that are ambitious have well over a hundred. Some have like a couple hundred depending on the seasons. So if you have a fish purveyor, you might have every fish purveyor in that city, which can be like New York can be like 15. And ultimately, it's a battle for them to see who sell the most exquisite product, et cetera, et cetera, or the best price. But these are a lot of these relationships you're building over time. I find it hard to believe because I was talking to another friend who operates a restaurant in Connecticut and they only have three vendors. What's the deal? How can someone have so, so many vendors and were they talking, you know, shit, basically? And the answer is no. Totally, totally legit to have 100. But I would say today, I, this is where, this is a prediction. Right now, having, some places only have one purveyor, like Cisco Foods, U.S. Foods, you can buy everything. From cleaning supplies to frozen goods to fruits and vegetables from one. It's the one-stop shop. And listen, if everything you buy is from one place, including your plastic wrap, if you're looking around, it's like, we probably only have like two purveyors. If your plastic wrap 
is the same purveyor for your tomatoes. <laughs> probably or your chef or the restaurant is probably only buying from one, two tops. You know you're a redneck, when. <laughs> and honestly, sometimes there's nothing you can do about that because that's just the location where you're at. But a lot of urban centers, the coastal cities, for example, they'll have a lot more. Mm-hmm. They just will. New York has so many goddamn purveyors. But I would say that even if you have three or even if you have 100 plus right now, in a weird way, it's like the same thing. Everyone's buying and cooking the same thing. Regardless, because if you're in New York and if you wanted to buy Asian products, there's like three Japanese purveyors. There's a couple that sell Korean, Japanese, and Chinese. So there's like a list of probably 10 to 15 that you're going to buy from. And more than likely, they're going to be buying and selling you the same products, giving you different price breaks, depending on the quantity of products that you buy from them on a year. But more than anything, like if you go to K-Town in a lot of the, or any restaurant, you're buying the same products as anyone else. So if you're a good restaurant, you're buying the same good products of higher quality products that all the other good restaurants are buying. So there's really no difference to some degree. How I, much truth is there to the sort of cinem- There is. I, I'm, I'm clearly simplifying it. But. but I mean, how much truth is there to that whole, like the cinematic, you know, film TV trope of, you know, we all buy from the same fish guy, but I go and meet him early and I slip him a 20 and I get the best. That's, first, that's true. Stuff. And I don't know. I mean, some, I mean, the thing that's crazy in Japan and a lot of the top sushi chefs literally buy their own fish themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. I, 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 I'm sure there are some people that do that. And I think this is going to lead into the prediction part. And clearly I'm not trying to lump in and that if you have a meticulously crafted Rolodex of purveyors, I'm just saying, like, I give four-story Hell's Farms as a good example in Pennsylvania. Great baby lamb. They also did capons, which are castrated milk chickens, which are delicious. A whole bunch of things. Thomas Keller was the first person to talk about it. Thomas Keller also has a, his lobster person. Sarah, I believe his name is, in, in Vermont. And he was, a again, monumental cookbook where he was highlighting the purveyors. Ducasse has always done that. Always trying to highlight the purveyors. Not talking about anything new, but all right, now I'm opening a restaurant. I haven't worked for Thomas Keller, but I want to find out how I can get the same ingredients. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that if someone's going to get lobster or lamb, that Thomas Keller is more than likely in his restaurant is going to get the premier product from them. Because that's the relationship, especially with smaller purveyors. If you are now someone that's trying to buy from the same source, not to say that you won't get the best product, but you're probably not going to get the best. We have that relationship with some people. I I feel pretty confident that the ham we get from some of the ham purveyors is better than most people are going to get. And you should know that this is a tried and true concept that happens the world over. When we buy, when we order things from Japan, sushi, not sushi, uh, misos or soys, a lot of the fermented products, we're, we're getting the worst. Or the uni that's coming, right? I, I remember sitting in a restaurant, and I saw the number one rated uni box in the world. It was Ichi one. And I was like, what is that number? It's like, we, we paid a tremendous amount of money to get the most pristine, perfect box of uni in the world for that day. Okay? <laughs> like, I was like, whoa. And, and of the 
I don't know, several, several thousands of uni boxes being shipped out all right. over the world. And all of its primo, this was graded the number one, the number one draft pick. Yeah, that is not being sold to America. Mm-hmm. It just won't. A lot of those products that we get, just it's not nefarious. It's just the way it works. Because of the existing relationships, as it trickles down, like Plinko, the game, you're going to get, you know, the things that are not as good. Mm-hmm. That happens in Europe all the time. You know, I was talking to Mossimo, and I know I've talked about this before. He's like, he says it's funny because great Parmesan Reggiano is only bought, you know, people only buy age wheels where it's stamped like it was produced in these months, mm. which is where there's grass and the cows are been eating this grass and that's it. But Parmesan Reggiano sold year round and made year round from the months that are not desirable. You think the people in Italy are buying those? <laughs> no, we're getting it at a price that's very expensive. And you see it chopped up with a big wheel of Parmesan when you go to your local supermarket and you're like, well, this is good. Look, it's been aged 36 months and it's better than this and then this one. And I'm not saying it doesn't taste good, but it's not the primo, primo, primo number one product that they're using in Italy. And like, I love it. Poise cheese. Very stinky, very delicious, but it's only made in certain months as well. And unpasteurized. America gets the unpasteurized and the versions made in the bad months. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it can't be delicious. It's just not the primo product. That happens with every purveyor that's small and, and boutique. So to some degree, like you're fighting for those incremental inches of getting better quality product than the next restaurant. It is a competition to that degree. But the problem is now when anyone, and I remember there are several people that were foragers through the years that we would use, and you would think that you were the only people getting it, but you're not. So next thing you know is why I say, which even if you have 100, 200 purveyors, you're getting the same things as everyone else potentially, because if you're trying to be an ambitious restaurant, there's only so many purveyors that are going to try to sell you the best in class stuff. So it's ultimately like the same, which is why, you know, it's always interesting to me what is better in a certain location when everyone's getting the same product, you can really determine who's got the best technique and who's running the best organizations. Because at the end of the day, if you're buying the same stuff, the only thing that's going to separate that is the the know-how and the technique and the skill. And my prediction is everything comes full circle, Mm -hmm. right? I think for a long time, People would discover a product. Jean-Louis Paladin was one of the first people. Well, again, when Ducasse opened in New York, he, he basically created a whole ecosystem. Our, our friend Josh Skeens, you know, when he talked about quality of product, he was one of the first people. And there were other people clearly that have done it, but he was the first person to like publicly say, I have my own fishing boats. I have my own cow. I have my own everything. Right? Even let's say you're like Noma. Noma is like the thing that separate themselves when everyone was copying skin, their Scandinavian food was our own fermentation product. We had our own fermentation. Line. That gave us a competitive advantage over everyone else. It was awesome to, for us to sell our product to the other three Michelin star restaurants because they can't do it. Now everyone knows. So that's been commoditized. Again, a lot of this technique stuff becomes technique. Whoever can make it the best is the difference maker. And, you know, just trying to boil it down. So that cycle of like becoming this boutique 
purveyor, seller of whatever it is that you forge or produce and you sell it to the best in class restaurants. That was shared. I don't think people are going to share that shit anymore. Hmm. That's my prediction. I think we're headed towards this real Cold War arms race with restaurants Hmm. because it's one of the only few competitive advantages you have left. And I think I've heard, I haven't been there, restaurants that are now, I think there's one in LA that have their own fishing boats now, right? You're going to have restaurants that have whatever it might be. It could be something small. It could be something grand in size. They are doing something that no one else is doing. Either making, and you've seen this with Italian restaurants. Oh, we have our own pasta shape room. We, we mill our own flour. All of these small competitive advantages that start to add up and are amplified if you have the technique and know how to execute it. And I think we're possibly, probably going to enter a time when this free-flowing sharing of information, which has been the case for almost 20 years, is going to sort of stop. And I don't know how that plays out. I think we'll see, but if I, 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 I could see how somebody might not want to share that information now. Also, how does that affect the purveyor, which is why a lot of these restaurants might become vertically integrated. I just don't know cost-wise if you can let that happen. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do that, to prevent a purveyor from selling to everyone else, is just to do it yourself. And I think that's the next step. How that works economically, I'm not sure, but we've seen it happen. It does happen in other parts of the world. And I think it's now going to become more commonplace that how we do it and what we buy is actually, we do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. You're talking at, or are talking specifically or primarily at the sort of highest levels? Are you saying that this is going to sort of be the standard now for? I think the highest levels of food. Yeah. Or, you know, put it this way. If Keller had to write his book all over again. Would not have shared his. He's not, he's not sharing his, his purveyors. I mean, he might, but it will be controlled. But he's going to pay his purveyor a premium that with a exclusivity, basically. I'm not, again, I'm not sure, but I do think, I do believe in the cyclical nature of everything. The cycle of life, as the Lion King says. Right? I, circle, circle, circle. Of life. I, I, I mean, I think the uni thing is a super interesting example. I, like, I, if I have access to the number one box of uni in the world and yeah. I can get it every day, I'm not sharing that information Why anymore. But that's the problem. So I don't think we, I haven't been in the culinary world where we've never shared information, mm. and I don't think it's going to be a necessarily bad thing moving forward. But things are going to become much more tightly controlled and proprietary do you think okay so but do you think that i mean uh the average consumer the average diner how do i say this like can tell <laughs> well actually no i mean, this is a conversation i have with a lot of chefs too how we joke that the ability to judge quality doesn't exist in america yes and that sounds elitist as fuck because guess what it is <laughs> But I would rather hear that from the chefs that are doing the greatest work out there. And they're bemoaning the fact that the people don't know what good is anymore to a degree. Right. That's a controversial statement, I know. But that's not trying to sound belittling to anybody. But I know there's a growing sentiment that being able to judge what is actually good. You know, this goes back to a little bit of that Berlin barbecue conversation. It's like, how do you know? Yeah. When... 
And it's not someone else's fault. If you always think about that story that Pat Norse told us about the hedonist principle, his dad grew up in a town in Australia where literally the bread in the small town that was sold to this town of like a couple thousand people was always burnt. Bread as he knew it was always burnt Mm -hmm. until he left the small town and he realized this bread that everyone is eating. He said, that's wrong. (laughs) It's not burnt. You know, I'm over, overly, uh, you know, distilling this being reductive, but that's basically the moral of the story is like, he didn't know. You only know what you know. And I don't know. I find it to be funny or weird that in the world where there's more and more information, it should basically translate to more and more people knowing what quality is. But I just don't know if that's the case. Yeah. I think that it's, uh, it's tricky, right? Because the restaurants are going to be fighting each other to be able to declare I have box number one of a thousand of uni and the consumer who, you know, again, by nobody's fault, because nobody has the opportunity to compare box number one against box number eight against box number hundred can't tell the difference, but they can say to their friends, I ate box number one uni because the chef told me so, you know, but I know in Japan, that is like a struggle. Like, it is a battle to get the best stuff, the best fish. Like Masamoto-san, you know, people say, or even Sawada in Tokyo, they'll say, oh, he gets, it almost is like a dismissive thing. Oh, he gets the best fish, right? Well, so how, I'm more interested, like, how the hell does he get the best fish better than everyone else? But so if everything is cyclical, and I'll, I'll move off this, I want to ask a corollary to the Chang Stradamus, the Nostradavis. Uh, prediction of of people working super hard to get these bespoke ingredients. Are we cyclically going to return to figs on a plate? Because that is the spirit of figs on a plate. I know we've talked to this talked this thing to death, but the spirit of figs on a plate was, hey, these four figs come from my neighbor's garden, and I'm only allowed to pick four. I'm going to say we've never left. <laughs> you know, it was like that really in, insanely asinine comment by Eater when they wrote an article about, does everyone notice that skate's on every fucking menu? They never laughed. <laughs> skate didn't go anywhere, guys. You only are bored and have nothing else to talk about, or you now just realize that there's fucking skate on every menu, so shut the fuck up. Like, right. it was so stupid. And I think that's the same thing. I think figs on a plate is never, it's never laughed. It's but, just now out of conversation because it's now so powerful. It's, only but I think it's going to. I think if your prediction comes right, you're going to see more of that. It's going to be the Eater article of like, what every plate is just a raw ingredient on a plate now. <laughs> just like I, I don't know if we are. I, 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 it's hard for me to predict what's going to be in vogue like that because, I mean, part of me thinks that we're going to go back to the mid '80s New York style stuff of. We're going to go back to higher plates, more abstract sauce plating on the sides. Again, if 90s fashion can come back and vote, if the worst NBA uniforms in the world can come back, then a lot of the stuff that was in vogue in the mid 80s are going to be back. That's interesting. Confetti. (laughs) Please, God. Bell pepper confetti. So we'll see. I also wouldn't mind if those plates with the million holes in them went away forever too. That's modern. That's 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 mid. That's but if we can re- get rid of those and go back to just confetti, I'm I'm fine. Again, that's probably my biggest gripe of that fucking movie. Burnt. There's a close up of that scene where the that plate, which is perforated with about so many holes, it's a beautiful plate, but it costs around like four hundred bucks per plate. Something very very expensive, and it's a beautiful porcelain bowl. 
but it's literally riddled with holes, even the base of the bowl. So it's a, it's a UFO saucer <laughs> with holes everywhere in it. And then they have like this, you know, piece of like fish and they're saucing it. And I'm looking at them like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. This is how you know that somebody that never worked in food is now being the food designer on that because, well, I'm not a smart man, but I do know that if you pour sauce into a sieve <laughs> riddled with holes, it will go everywhere. Let's get into a moif after this break. All right. So welcome to My Opinion is Fact. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Uh, we're going to kick things off with the best pizza topping combinations. All right. So... Dave and Chris, we want to know your best pizza topping combos. Got to be more than one topping. What is the best combination for pizza toppings? And I've said this publicly. I'm currently, and again, I can talk shit about Hawaiian barbecue pizza or Hawaiian pizza, but I can say barbecue chicken pizza is the Mm, best. mm, 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 And a lot of people mm. say you're wrong. And I'm okay with that, but you're wrong. And to, to be it's clear, it's perfectly balanced and that sweetness cuts through that sweet, tangy barbecue sauce that's also tomato based, cuts through, and it's a magical mouthful. Okay, so your your platonic barbecue chicken pizza is barbecue sauce. Not there's here's the thing. Every form of barbecue chicken pizza, <laughs> even airport barbecue chicken pizza, is delicious. But but the 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 sort of archetype is barbecue sauce, cheese. Chicken, red onion. Mm. That's the archetype. God, that sounds good. That is a good combination. I have no, no, with that, with no, no real agenda. It's the most, it is the best modern pizza topping combination we've ever seen. I think that it is, I think that people have been chasing the dragon ever since that combination came out. Tell me, tell me a better modern pizza topping combination than barbecue chicken pizza. Can you guys? There are none. Don't say the penne vodka one. (laughs) Everything else, there's people have tried. What about the buffalo chicken pizza? Uh, Mm. That doesn't. I don't like cheese. I don't like cheese. If it's ranch, this one. If it's ranch, if it's ranch. But the reason why I'm not a buffalo chicken fan is it can be too tart and it distracts. And you might say, "Well, you're talking about barbecue sauce." I'm like. Well, it's sweet and non-cloying, and it's a nice balance. Barbecue sauce is too tart. And here's another reason why. At many of these pizza establishments, there's a bottle of vinegary hot sauce. Mm. But there's not a bottle of barbecue sauce. And until there's a bottle of barbecue sauce on the table, you can go fuck off. In fact, I'll say this. I wish I I wish that that barbecue chicken pizza topping combination would appear in more places. <laughs> Make it into a wrap. Put it on pasta. Yeah, I, Whatever I, you want to do. I, I, I'm just saying, yeah, there's a lot of worthy contenders. But if I had to choose like the best modern pizza player of our generation, it's clearly <laughs> barbecue chicken pizza. You know? I feel like Simmons t- like defending Bill Russell all the time. I'm just saying like I yeah, like it, you can be a wilt person and talk about buffalo chicken pizza. Fine. You're not wrong, but you're wrong. I love a barbecue chicken pizza as the modernist pizza. Is there creation. another combination? No. So why don't we just accept that it's in the pantheon of pepperoni, sausage, cheese, and barbecue chicken pizza and call it a fucking day. All right. It deserves to be put on the Rushmore of greatness. Don't no. laugh. No, I think it belongs right up there. 
Yes, thumbs up or no? You guys, they're all looking at me like I'm an asshole. Corey's not even looking at me. <laughs> they're anti. You guys are anti barbecue chicken pizza. I'm very pro barbecue chicken pizza. I want to put that on the record. Hail Mary in Atwater Village. I don't know if you guys have had that pizza, but their barbecue chicken is excellent. Can it? But here's the thing: it can't be brisket. It has to be chicken. Wait, has anybody ever said that there was a horrible barbecue chicken? I've never had a barbecue exist. chicken. That it doesn't. Exist. Much like rock <laughs> shrimp, tempura. <laughs> You know, this is like the new definition of goat status food. Yeah. When every version of it is awesome. Yeah. It's, it's transcended food. Yeah. It's the California rule. You know, clearly disagrees. And Victoria is being Victoria and not even talking about it now. I get it. She wants buffalo chicken. That's okay. It's okay to be wrong. Barbecue uh, chicken pizza, Mount Rushmore for sure. Yeah, UFOs are in the headlines because they were the topic of a House Oversight Subcommittee hearing. Uh, UFOs, real or not? Yes, I, I saw that. We have um, several people that were military veterans serving many years have claimed that UFOs exist. And not just UFOs, aliens exist. And then I saw on social media, Sammy Hagar on an old Howard Stern show saying he was abducted by aliens in 67, 68. And his recounting of being abducted by aliens made me a believer. Can't drive 55. What's the, what's the moif here? Is the question UFOs real or fake? Hmm. Real. I mean, we had, we had Gideon Lewis Cross on here when he wrote that article about this and had some very convincing things to say about this. Very, uh, like, unexplainable stuff. You know what's crazy is, I don't know if I told you this, after we had, like, Gideon wrote that article about UFOs and one of the sort of foundational UFO sightings in American history happened in, in Michigan. And like, this is like one of, you know, there's like five or six of these throughout the history of the United States that like multiple, multiple, multiple witnesses saw this very unusual thing happen in the sky. There's, there's, you know, articles about it, blah, blah, blah. This is where the origins of the like UFOs are just swamp gas, like started with this sighting. And, uh, we did that interview with him. (laughs) And then I got a call from my dad who was like, I was there. Your dad was abducted? No, he he was one of these many, like, hundreds of Michigan people who drove out in the middle of the night because they saw these crazy lights in the air. And he's like, I've never told anybody in my life this because people have made fun of me my whole life. But when when your friend described exactly what happened, like, I was there. And I was like, Dad, you're fucking crazy, bro. Well, Dad, we can now make fun of you. The whole world can make fun of you. I do believe in UFOs. I do believe in aliens. I don't believe in... Do you believe that aliens, alien-piloted UFOs visit Earth on yeah, a regular basis. But they don't give us their faster than warp speed technology because <laughs> people eat dark chocolate. <laughs> They're like, we're going to give it to you. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Is that dude no, eating that for no. antioxidants? No, it's clear. I definitely believe just because smarter people do that the possibility of life outside of this planet is almost guaranteed. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But do they come and see us? But they probably look at us and be like, they're, they make stupid food decisions. <laughs> they do not buy their tickets when they should. We cannot help the civilization. What is wrong with these people? Yeah. They say, excuse me. And they should be saying, go F off. All right, next. All right, we're going to do a quick fuck, Mary kill. Uh, udon, soba, and ramen. Fuck, hmm. Mary kill. It's a good one. I'm going to fuck ramen. I'm going to kill udon. I'm going to marry soba. And I'll explain ramen. Listen, it's just, it's like tonkatsu ramen. Tonkatsu ramen. I don't want to eat it, but I'll fuck with it. Killing udon because 
I have I had to choose between soba and udon. Choosing soba, they're both served in the very similar styles, but soba has more personality and nuance and fragility that the udon doesn't. So I feel like in a relationship, I'd be able to extract more of that long term. Udon is really one note. It's just looks. There's nothing else. It's got chew, and that's it. I think there's so many different ways to have soba. You can have different grains, different polishings. Yeah, it's it's definitely you kill udon. God, I don't want to. I don't want to kill any of these. But if I have to, if I have to, if I have to do Sophie's choice here, I pro. It's hard. It's hard because I think marrying something is you've got to have this constantly. It's always going to be there. So you kind of you. I agree with that. You have to kind of marry ramen because you have so much variety to it. Did you say marry ramen? You said fuck ramen. Fuck ramen. I'm torn between marrying it and fucking it because I've had my filthiest dalliances with ramen. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like when you do your, when you like eat dirty, that's like ramen. Dude, I, we know how you like to eat dirty without a shirt. I fucking, but like the, the noodle I love and respect and want to treat with kindness is soba. So I kind of do want to fuck, have a filthy fling <laughs> with ramen. I guess, yeah, marry and treat respectfully, have soba raise my children. <laughs> And then you have to kill Udon. Is that what I mean, you said? Jamie, he just compared you to Soba. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do a quick overrated, underrated. All right. Overrated, underrated. Here we go. Vintage champagne. The really fancy stuff. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> overrated, but rightfully so. Rated exactly. Exactly where it needs Again. to be. <laughs> I'll drink that shit all day long. It's not only delicious, it's like a miracle. I'm just like, wow, that cork really worked. This bubbly is still bubbly. Mm. 30 years later. About it. <laughs> so good. Like, God, man, dude. I'll drink. Just it. ordering so your vintage champagne, eating your second helping of rock shrimp tempura, Nobu. Next. Next up, we've got tomahawk steaks, overrated and underrated. Uh, I mean, listen, I... I APL, Adam Paralang has said that the criticism of a tomahawk steak, let alone I think the name has to probably change, is your people complain that you're paying for the bone itself. I can't remember his explanation as to why that is a bunk Hmm. rationale, but ultimately it's a ribeye. The bone is easy to cook with, but I'd rather, it's a visual catnip for people in a restaurant you sell a tomahawk steak and it goes out of the restaurant you know that three more orders are coming it's facts it's the right? tomahawk the same thing as a what are they like a cowboy it's basically all the same thing yeah, just one, like a they're both a terrible bone. names <laughs> so no i i think it is rightfully it's properly rated people will say it's overrated but restaurants can make a lot of money on that and it's not necessarily an easy thing to cook, and it brings intense enjoyment to people. If it didn't, people wouldn't still order it. And they're not cheap. You order a big tomahawk, that's probably like 250 bucks now mm-hmm. at a restaurant, 275 I mean, it's still ultimately a ribeye, part of the 109. It's, it's very good. I've always avoided it. I don't know why. But recently watching Adam Perry Lang just slap that thing around that grill and hit it with rosemary, oh my God. That's just, it's unbelievably attractive. Next. 
Next up, tea sandwiches. So like the ones that you have at tea, cucumber with cream cheese, smoked salmon, ham and mustard, those little like, yeah. finger sandwiches. Overrated. <laughs> I don't I, I don't eat any I don't eat cucumber in sandwiches. Like unless it's pickled, right? If fresh let me say I don't eat fresh cucumbers in drinks, gin and tonic, straight out, <laughs> and anything that's a sandwich, I don't want. Is unless it's pickled. Is it I, I, I've never been invited to a high tea. Is a tea sandwich cucumber literally just bread and cucumber? Is there like butter well, or anything in there? What's the point of there? eating that when you want to? When you finish your tea thing, you're going to eat something else after that. <laughs> okay, like I would drink serve tea me all. a grinder. Give me some sliders. Well, that's a good setup. We should we should set that like as like a TV show segment. We do a proper tea thing, mm-hmm. British style, but instead of teas, you get in a hoagie. <laughs> You get an Italian style. It's just, but it's all in the same yeah. tiered racks, right? And yeah. it's just like yeah. sandwiches yeah. all over. Dude, it's a cool <laughs> site. Don't steal that idea, anybody. <laughs> Next. Next, moving on. Full service movie theaters with in-seat service. So if you guys have been to these kind of fancy theaters like an Alamo Draft House or a Sinopolis, like... Yeah, I love iPick. iPick is the best. And it also feels weird, but it's great. I wish that there was a way for me to go bathroom in the seat. <laughs> That's the next development. I had to I had to pee for one the whole last hour and twenty minutes of the Spider Man movie. I agree. If I could have just peed in my seat, that would be great. Wait, what, how could it be under over, overrated to have somebody serving you food in the movie? Like what? I want that at home. I know you don't want us to get out of here, but I got a quick slice and it's a fucking gripe. I was watching some terrible movie. And I was recently so terrible I can't even remember. And I was looking at my phone under my shirt. Because <laughs> you were watching with. Like this. I was like. Oh, you were at the theater. Mm-hmm. I was like. This is fucking bananas. Like nobody. Okay. Like that. For, for those listening and not watching. On the he, lowest setting. He has put his hand in his phone under his shirt. And he is peeking in through the collar. So as to, I guess, hide the light. Light. <laughs> They can't see it. And this dude was like three rows away. And I'm on the left by the aisle. And he's like, what he came, he taps me on the shoulders like he wanted to fight me. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you can't even see the light. Just the mere fact that I was watching my phone under and he could see that I was doing that instead of watching the film bothered him. I mean, I felt like one of those people that were like, and no mask people. <laughs> I, mean, I now understood. I was like, you can't tell me to wear a fucking mask. You can't tell me to look at my phone in my shirt. I almost had a real Karen moment, man. I mean, almost blew the fuck up. I would never, I have, this is, I have complex feelings about this. I would never have tapped you on the shoulder. And if the movie's shitty, I can look at my phone. I would never have tapped you on the shoulder, but I, I would have sat in my seat, three rows back being like, Look at this fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm fine, fine. That's fine. crazy shit, dude. Me? What I'm doing crazy shit? Yes. No. You guys think it's normal if the movie's shitty and it's an empty movie theater because someone played hooky to watch a movie at Century City after a meeting. <laughs> this is fucking insane. You, got, you guys think this is okay, normal there's three, behavior. There's like three people in this stupid movie theater watching this stupid fucking movie. What's the movie? We, I mean, we have to know now. What? What was the movie? Flash. 
<laughs> okay, it changes. Okay, yeah, you're allowed to do that. That's fine. That's I was fine. like, what is so important in this terrible fucking movie? It's fine. It's fine. You can do it. You know it what? Flash. I didn't even stay. I was so mad at this fucking guy. I left. You couldn't do and it. And I said, <laughs> happy now. I walked out of the movie theater. I was like, good luck with this fucking film. <laughs> <laughs> you so fucking crazy, man. <laughs> You're so crazy, dude. Happy now. Oh, you know what it was? I was at the US Open. Mm. And I had to wait to give my badge to somebody else. And that's why I watched it. Oh, you took a little And I had to lie to Grace that I've never watched because now it's on pay per view. And I was like, oh, you want to watch it? I was like, no, no, no. Well, I mean, technically, you haven't watched it. <laughs> I've watched like half of it. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> So now I gotta now Grace is gonna go like now I know why you fucking watched the movie when you told me you were at the US Open. <laughs> All right. La- next now. one. All right. It's the Bay City's Godmother. Overrated, underrated. This is clearly a, a planted one because we talked about it, but I think you know just added it because I've been trying not to talk about it. All I will say is Chris Chen. Mm-hmm. Our partner in Major Dome Media swears by it as like the best. Every time, Bay Cities is the best. Mm-hmm. It's the best sandwich. Where do I get a good sandwich? No one ever talks about Langer's. Oh, the best sandwich in general is from Bay Cities. Oh, if you want an Italian style sandwich, the only place you can go is Bay Cities. I mean, down to the, Chen, what are we doing? How long are we going to stand here waiting for this? It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. But I don't want to, st- I don't, I'm hungry. I got to go. I like Roma's. There's a lot of great sandwiches. The reason why I don't say it's the best is they have mustard and mayonnaise on it, and I only eat authentic things. You can't say you make an Italian sandwich with mustard and mayonnaise on it. We got to rename one of our segments. Are you happy now? <laughs> People swear by Bay Cities. Like, it's the greatest fucking sandwich. I'll eat it. I like it. I'm not trying to say it's not delicious, but don't tell me it's the best fucking sandwich. Do people say what you, do they or other people claim what you were saying they claim, which is this people is get the pissed. best people Italian People in LA get stuff. pissed. They defend base cities like no other. But as a like East Coast style Italian sub, they yeah, say like, this, this is, is the, best. the This is the definition of like, an Italian sandwich. I lived in New York, I'm man. Like, Have you been to White House subs <laughs> in New Jersey, Atlantic City? Like that is the fucking best. Mm, mm, mm. Noel, I mean, not Noel, you know, what are your thoughts as a longtime L.A. resident? Am I right about this Bay City's fucking religious fervor? Uh, you are absolutely right. I've never met somebody who liked Bay Cities that I didn't like, though. They seem to be good good folk, you know, and obviously Chris Chen falls into that category. But um, Or does he? Of course he does. But uh, I, I can't stand that sandwich. Like, I actually dislike it. Like, actively don't well, fuck that's, with that's it. <laughs> Yikes. It's a tasty sandwich. Just don't say it's a sandwich, Italian style sandwich. Cause like, you know, my Nona would not appreciate that. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break and we're going to get out of here real quick. <laughs> Last quick segment. Bad idea. That's a good idea. I think wine programs all over the country should have an option on all of their wine lists. This is something that came to me as a brainstorm. I'm, I just want to share it. Mm-hmm. Unlike future restaurant chefs that are going to hold on to their information, I'm giving this freely. Okay. Next to every producer, vineyard, maker of wine, right? Especially when it comes to places outside of America, 
Okay. You're talking about on the wine list where it has like the vintage, the producer, the, the varietal, another piece of information. Every time. And this is going to change the fucking wine industry. I feel like the crowds in Mad Max Fury Road waiting for you to yeah. unleash the water upon us. And you're going to laugh. The gift you're all going to laugh at me. You're all going to say, what a dumbass. I know it. But don't worry. I know this is going to be a good one. After every, have you ever been in a wine, in a restaurant, you're looking at the wine list and you actually know that you want to get it, but you don't know how to pronounce it properly? <laughs> right? Right? You're like, God damn it, I know that. Or like you, there, there's something you used to be able to pronounce properly, but now you don't know it because you're talking with people that are experts at talking about it and you don't want to sound like the asshole. So you don't want to order it and you just point at the number. You know? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I think. No. I think. Don't. That. Every, next to every producer of fucking wine in every vintage should be a phonetic pronunciation <laughs> of the vineyard and the producer. Just like you would go to the Merriam Dictionary and you see that, you know, in parentheses, the, you know, right. the phonetic spelling. This would save me from having to order wine by saying, I'll have the, and then picking one word from the line of stuff that I can pronounce. <laughs> I know. Because listen, especially when you are ordering with other people that are not in the industry and they're looking at you like, um, <laughs> thank God, Dave's here. You get, uh, we, we, the, we can order everything. I'm and like, then you gotta be like I, have the I don't right want to take the last second shot. And the psalm comes and you're like, yo, what's up? And then you mispronounce the name and the psalm knows you mispronounce the name and they give this fucking pain, agony face. And everyone else knows like, oh, that didn't sound like the right way to say it. <laughs> It's an embarrassing moment. It's like calling a timeout left with no timeouts. Yeah. You just fucked up. So in order to avoid those moments, let's just have the phonetic spelling. I would spend more. I think that this would increase wine sales dramatically. The fear of being able to order wine without pronouncing it poorly is why wine sales are like hitting a ceiling. I, I think I think you're right. Because I was going to propose a counter, which is just adopt the like massive Vietnamese menu numbering system. But people want to be able to pronounce it. They want to be able to say the thing. So I think a little pronunciation guide on the, on the side of the thing. Yeah, there's some words that I cannot pronounce. And I tend to order the same ones that I can pronounce. Like, I know for sure. And I'm like, I want to order that one. Yeah. But I can't pronounce it properly. I'll have so the I'll order the Ravano because I know how to pronounce that properly. <laughs> But I can't pronounce the location of the where that vintage was bronze. I was just like, oh, Ravino. Yeah, you went Ravino. I went Yellowtail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You definitely. It's not that crazy. I think that will encourage people. People will say, oh, you're, you're not making it cool anymore. I'm like, listen, if I can't pronounce anything, just let me, let me feel like I won with yeah. a simple pronunciation helper. I think right. it would be good. Even if it's another book to that. I don't care. It's a glossary. So I'm like, oh. I like that too. I'll tell the psalm. I'll feel like an expert and I'll, I'm going to sp- spend way more money than I want to spend on wine. But that's the main reason why I think you're in situations where you're like, shit, I hope someone else knows more about wine than me. Cause that's always the move. Like, dude, you got your psalm certification. It's all you bro. Order whatever you want. But last, last gripe. And I promise you we're going to get out of here. I'm tired thinking about wine. When I know of a, a vineyard and I know that whether it's my restaurant or other restaurant that it's usually want three X maybe four X the markup on wine 
That's how restaurants make money. When I see it six to seven X at a restaurant, I want to be like, come on, dude. And they're usually, those are the names of the, the wines that are just, you know, you know how to spell it, pronounce it, but you don't know it too well. But I, I, well, what are you supposed to say when something is too much? You can't say anything at all. Other than the wine people, I know they say something. I mean, do wine people say something? They're just like, wow. I think they all, they all know. Because like some it's just like, I know I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. I've had this conversation. Here's a wine that I can't pronounce properly that is well known. Because there's a Y in front of it. Dechem. <laughs> Chateau Dechem. 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 Very hard know. to pronounce. Can't do Weird it either. What, what is that combination? Y-Q-E-M? I, fuck off! Fuck? Yeah, I know. <laughs> fuck off. And no, I'm not going to spend $2,000 a bottle for a dessert wine. You know, oh, fuck you off. know what Chateau Dechem makes me think? Makes me have sympathy whenever we're trying to teach our kids to read. And they're like, what do you mean this one's silent? <laughs> what do you mean? Anyway, please, <laughs> for all guys. the Psalms out there that are making your books, someone be the trailblazer. And on the right side, just put in parentheses the phonetic spelling of that, of everything. And then, you know, footnote me as the bad reason, the bad idea. But it's a good idea. It's a good fucking idea. Anyway, we've talked long enough. Give us five stars. Thank you, guys. <laughs>